Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka. Welcome to episode number 108 of ADHD for Smartass Women. Before I introduce our guest, I'd like you to know about a new workshop. It's going to be a free five-day workshop called How to Fall in Love with Your ADHD Brain. And if that is something that you're interested in joining me for, you may join the waitlist at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash I love my brain. So let's get started. In this episode, I am going to introduce you to Judith Holding. Judith is in her 11th year as a professional organizer and fifth year as an ADHD coach. She has trained in brain-based differences and has received her certification from the Institute for Challenging Disorganization, Coach Approach for Organizers, and the National Association for Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Judith is the mother of three adult children, two of which were diagnosed as having ADHD. Judith describes herself as being on the ADHD spectrum, but not quite at the tipping point. This means that Judith understands the frustrations and struggles that happen to those of us with ADHD when our brains don't work the way, let's say, a neurotypical brain does. A lot of Judith's work with clients is helping them develop more awareness so they can celebrate their accomplishments and appreciate their unique ways of thinking and being. She says that perfection is an illusion that no organizer will ever promise you. Ultimately, good enough is truly good enough. Welcome, Judith. Did I get all that right? Yes. Thank you so much, Tracy. It's a pleasure to be here talking with you. Yeah, so I'm just going to let our listeners know that um, we just recorded 15 minutes and then discovered that I had not pushed record. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't notice you hadn't and pushed I, record. <laughs> <laughs> and as I had mentioned last time we went through this, my motto used to be good enough isn't. And I would go around telling my kids that and they would get so upset at me. So I know they will love your good enough is truly good enough. And 
I'm proud to say that I have changed my motto. It is now good enough is. So (laughs) anyway, I would love if we could start once again with you sharing your own personal story around ADHD and your kids, I guess, right? Sure. Sure. So I have always been someone who kind of can get a little yondery, as my mother called it, staring out the window all during fourth grade. I didn't like my teacher and didn't think much of her. And so I didn't pay any attention. And I struggled in school with science and math, like sort of concrete um, stuff was great with me. But if it was a little bit on the more abstract line of thinking, my brain hadn't matured to that point during high school. So I struggled with those more abstract concepts. So I would say, yes, I'm on the spectrum. And so when I had children, my first child is a neurotypical, she, you know, high achieving, and just does things seem to come pretty easily to her. And then my second two children, I identified with. I could really see where they were having some similar issues to me. And I just accepted it. I figured, well, that's just, you know, the way their brains work. And it's a little bit more like mine. And I'm okay. (laughs) So um, it wasn't until they were both around fourth grade, that magical year, that their teachers started to sort of say to me, hmm, we think there's something going on here. And it wasn't until middle school that they each got diagnosed. And um, we then embarked on a journey with whether or not to use meds and all of that kind of thing, therapists, etc, different ways to help them cope with how their ADHD brains work. So I had also mentioned that my son started to struggle in fourth grade as well after having not struggled at all before that. And his fourth grade teacher told me that it's a typical year when kids struggle, fourth grade, because they're no longer learning to read, they are reading to learn. And when I think about that, it makes total sense because my son actually liked to read, but he could pretty much read whatever he wanted up until fourth grade. But then come fourth grade, he started to have to read what they told him to read. And often it was about things he had no interest in. So it makes sense to me now why, you know, a lot of kids start to struggle in fourth grade. Yeah. So then what were the circumstances that made you decide to become a professional organizer? Well, in my mid-50s, I decided to go to grad school to get a master's in journalism. And I had a great time doing that. And it taught me a lot about how to organize my thoughts and my deadlines and my goals so that I was writing papers weeks in advance instead of what I used to do as an English major in the 70s, which was write it the night before sobbing. Um, (laughs) I would get really good grades, but gosh, that urgency motivator was, was exhausting. And then I finished the program in 2009. And I came out and looked at the state of journalism, reality check, there weren't really any jobs anymore because of what's been happening with journalism. And I wasn't young and hungry and going to move to some, you know, pretty remote place like Alaska, where they still have 
small newspapers that people are hiring for. And so a girlfriend of mine who was a coach basically got me to visualize what it was I wanted to do. And I've always been someone who has great spatial awareness and can see how things will fit or not fit into spaces. And I've always been someone who is very organized around my physical world. So I imagine being a professional organizer without knowing that it actually existed as a profession. And then I found NAPO, the National Association for Productivity and Organizing Professionals. And I started offering my services first to my book club. I offered three hours for free, and then I started charging them. Um, And a couple of them, you know, took me up on it. And I also did that with my PTA uh, friends, and I slowly got into being a professional organizer. So was this something, Judith, that you were naturally good at from the get-go, or was it something that, you know, you developed these skills because you had to in order to help organize your brain and the structure around you? I'd say it's a combination, but initially I was just good at it. I would come home. I remember I'd come home from school and instead of doing homework, I would organize my mother's kitchen cabinets. So, well, and isn't that a sign? And I wish I had a child who would come home and do that for me. (laughs) (laughs) I know I, I would, you know, procrastinate, but I would be doing that distracted thing, you know, while I'm doing, I'm doing something, I'm being really, you know, productive, it's just I'm not doing yeah procrastinating mm-hmm. procrastinating and procrastinating organizing so yeah I I, <laughs> I do that too <laughs> so I have that basic focus interest and skill and as an older person because I'm 65 now in the last I would say the last 20 years I've really learned to apply that to the rest of my world as well and I'm never a hundred percent good enough is truly good enough. And there are some days that I just, you know, hit myself upside the head and then have to pause and give myself some grace and kudos for what I have done because, you know, I've suddenly forgotten an appointment because it was in my head at the wrong time of day. I thought about it. And then as far as I was concerned, it was checked off in my brain. So I still have some of that going on, but Mostly I work with a calendar and reminders on my phone, and that really helps me stay on track of that kind of distracted or I don't know what you would call it, cluttered thinking. (laughs) So if your surroundings are a big mess, do you struggle to get whatever done that you need to get done? Does it affect you? Yes. And I have a tipping point Um, in my own office, because I do like to have things out that I'm working on. Typical ADHD methodology, right? If it's out, I see it and it reminds me to do it. But if there's too much out, it just becomes visual clutter. And none of it reminds me of anything other than I feel really uncomfortable and I don't want to be in this room. So I have learned to uh, label my file drawers. And that reminds me of what's in them that needs to be done. I can only keep a certain amount on my desk before it bugs the you know what out of me. 
And um, then I take the time to straighten everything out and keep only those things that I know I have to work on soon in front of me. I can relate. So I want to know what the Institute for Challenging Disorganization is. I heard about this school, I guess, a couple of years ago, and I have been looking for someone to come on and talk to me about it and talk to us about it because it just sounds so interesting. I had no idea there was such an animal. Yeah. So it's not really a school. It truly is an association. It really is mostly for practitioners of work with ADHD people or, or other brain-based differences. And so what is the difference between working with someone who, you know, I guess is part of the Institute for Challenging Disorganization has taken those programs versus any old professional organizer? So this is my personal opinion. I will preface it with that. And There are a lot of organizers who are very type A personalities. They like to come into a home. They have an agenda for what they would like to see accomplished. And if they're working with someone who's more type A, that's all great and wonderful and kumbaya. If you are working with someone who has a brain-based difference, be it ADHD an actual brain injury or autism or, you know, you fill in the blank. You can't have your own agenda and you can't take, I don't know, satisfaction from setting a goal of what you are going to accomplish as the organizer. It really has to be client driven. And so the ICD really, really explains that well to people. And it really, I mean, that's why I got into coaching as well, because I come in with a very coachy approach, which is the client knows a lot of the solutions. We may offer them strategies and, you know, proven rules of thumb, et cetera, but they have to go at their own pace and they have to learn the types of things that work for them through experimentation and innovation. And it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be, you know, a transformation that, you know, some, like I say, some neurotypicals really just want you to come in and do that transformation with them. I would say that approach would probably make most people that I work with feel really, really bad about themselves. So the ICD... Well, they couldn't maintain it, right? They couldn't maintain it. It goes too quickly it's not involving maybe them because they tend to have, they, we tend to have slow decision (laughs) processes. We tend to get hung up perhaps on sentimental attachment with things that we've acquired or been given that we really need to work through the emotions of it before we can say yes, no, maybe about whether we're keeping it, whether we're storing it or whether we're donating it. So the ICD All the courses that they teach really talk about coming into it from the client's perspective. And they explain what that perspective might be influenced by. So it might be influenced by ADHD inattentive. It might be influenced by ADHD hyperactivity. It may be a combo. It may be, you know, like I said, it may be a frontal lobe injury. It may be that someone's a senior 
and is maybe having some cognitive issues. So really understanding where your client is coming from and being okay with working on their agenda and not taking pride in accomplishing something quickly for your agenda. That's a big difference between the people who I get trained at ICD and the people who that would just be not of any interest to them. No, that makes so much sense. I mean, I feel that way completely that the client always knows. They may not know how to do it, but they know what's right for them. Yes. And I can't imagine, you know, someone else coming in and saying, this is what we're going to do and then expecting them to maintain it. I mean, I would probably sabotage it just on purpose because they didn't take me into account. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it may just be that, you know, it worked for 70% of their neurotypical clientele, but it's just not going to speak to someone who has ADHD. I think it's so interesting that you mentioned emotion, which I had never thought about, that that is why we tend to uh, struggle to part with things and we have so much stuff is because of the emotion that we tie to things because it helps our memory. Like, there's so much I don't remember, but if I see something, it brings back the memories. I would never be able to come up with those memories otherwise. Like when I see things that, you know, maybe it was, you know, an outfit that my daughter wore or some toy that my son played with. And so I'm really curious, you know, when you go in and organize, if you're organizing with a neurotypical Do you seldom see emotion in them being able to just parse through things and say, yeah, get rid of this, keep this? Oh, no. You really see a difference there? We all have emotions around it, but it may be that they can probably just make decisions faster Mm -hmm. and keep the goal in mind a bit more, not get as distracted, as easily distracted or... You know, like they're more linear thinkers. So they're more able to say, if okay, if I do A, B, C, D, et cetera, we'll get to Z. And yes, we may have to work through some emotions. I mean, nobody goes through life without some kind of attachment to things, right? But I guess I would say the difference is that, like you say, those things don't become stand ins, maybe for memory. Mm-hmm. Or they don't become representatives of a relationship that perhaps is affected by the ADHD. And so the thing stands in for a relationship that may be broken or, I don't know, fraught <laughs> in some way. Yeah. So it, it, it might represent good intentions about a much larger really issue. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Judith, let's say that someone comes to you and everything is a mess. They're ADHD, of course. Everything's a mess. Their house is a mess. Their car is a mess. Their personal files are a mess. Their business files are a mess. Where do you start? First, I help them go through the whole house if they're asking for that. And we really look at everything. And I start to try to understand what the stuff represents to them and how they're using this clutter to maybe avoid things or maybe, like you said, maybe it's just overwhelm. And then once we come up with sort of a a focus on which places of most importance to them, the first day I would start with what I call the low-hanging fruit. Just make it easy. Start 
start learning how to sort through clutter with things that don't have high value. And that value is not monetary necessarily. It's probably emotional. So I just did this the other day. In fact, I was doing virtual organizing with a lovely new client. And we were working- Wait, wait, wait. Virtual organizing? Yes. Okay, keep going, but I'm going to write that down because I want to hear what that is. Well, I, I was on Zoom with this person. That's what it is, not being physically on site. And so how do you do that if you're talking <laughs> about um, going through their home? Do they just carry their computer around with them? Yeah, or phone. I mean, we could do FaceTime. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But I tend to stay in one spot. So we were in the room that this person had decreed was the place to start. And Mm -hmm. I asked her, just find what was low-hanging fruit. And by that, I said, you don't have a lot of emotional attachment to it. And you think it might be relatively easy to make decisions about. So she went and found items that were similar items. And we just did like with like. We put all those items together, or she did that under my instruction. And she showed them to me one by one. And we had short discussions about them. And she had a box for donating. She had a box for her next door neighbors because there were kids who she likes to give some things to. And we had a trash bag, which I, you know, loathe to use trash very often. I like to keep things out of the dumpster, but you know, some things truly are just trash. And Mm -hmm. um, we just went through about 10 items in about 20 minutes. And that may seem long to you guys? I don't know. Good question, Judith. To me, that was relatively fast decision making. And some of those items she had had for 20 years. Oh, I guess if the items are really big, 10 items would be a heck of a lot to clean out of a room or even yes. medium big, right? If it was pieces of paper, yeah, not. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> and then And then we moved on to some other items that were in a a storage place in that room. And she was able to make pretty quick decisions. And some of that is the body doubling that people may have heard Mm -hmm. of, which is, you know, actually having a companion and an accountability partner of sorts, who in my case, you're paying and you're paying, you know, not bad amount of money to. And so there's, two measures of accountability with me, right? You're paying me and I'm physically a presence, either, even if I'm not in the room with you because of COVID, but I'm physically a presence over Zoom or FaceTime. And um, it just makes it easier. It just makes it so much easier. And I'm not quite sure what the neurology of that is. I suppose it's, you know, possibly some endorphins from being with someone in a sort of social way. And, you know, we were joking a little bit and having a good time, but I kept it focused on what we were doing. We didn't get distracted and go off on tangents. And so have you done whole homes like that? Yes. How long does that take? Typically Uh. for, let's say you're doing a kitchen, like how long will it typically take to go, isn't that boring? (laughs) Oh, I don't find that boring. This is not boring. I love this. See, this is like, ooh, ooh, I'm rubbing my hands. Oh, this will be so much fun. 
Um, and my, and, and I, I laugh because I say, I think I also have a little OCD. So for me, this is like, oh, I'm, I'm like a cat with cream. I'm lapping it up from the saucer. I sighed because how long does it take? Well, there are so many variables, Tracy. You know, how big is the kitchen? How much stuff does a person have? How quickly do they make decisions? I like to say I'm like the water torture where I just drip, drip, drip on your head until you finally say, okay, I'll let go of that thing. Um, And that's just the repetitiveness of the activity. So what we would be doing is taking things out of cupboards and stuff and sorting like with like, and probably doing like um, maybe all of the china and mugs and cups at one time, depending on how large the collection is. And really looking mm-hmm. at how much space do you really have for all this stuff? And do you actually use 50 mugs in a week or a month or even in a year? And perhaps some of these, if you can't bear to let go of them, maybe they get boxed up and put in your basement storage for you know use during a holiday only or whatever it is that you're keeping it for. So as you can tell, it could be anywhere from 10 hours to 30 to do a kitchen. Mm. That's just a rough guess. So what it sounds like you're really doing is you're providing awareness. You're asking these questions that I'm sure many of us have never thought about. Yeah. Do we really need five different place settings of different China, right? We don't use it. Correct. And just because aunt so-and-so gave you that. Yeah. Would you have gone out and purchased it yourself? Does it really have great representation of your relationship with great aunt so-and-so? Would someone else actually use it rather than having it collect dust in some faraway closet or whatever it is, taking up room in your primary real estate? You know, the other question that I, I, I hear myself asking Because I used to, well, I used to entertain a lot and I have a scary amount of China and, you know, I don't need it all. It's ridiculous. You know, maybe once a year on Easter when we may have, you know, 25 people here, we need, we still don't need how much China I have. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. so when I see it, it makes me feel bad. It doesn't generate positive emotion because I'm thinking, why the hell did you waste that money? Just think about it. if you had put that in the stock market, then what would it be worth today? You know? <laughs> well, that kind so of thinking, I- <laughs> that kind of thinking is yeah, you know, well, the the ADHD. Like I'm going to beat myself over the head, you know, yeah. or over the back because I've made a mistake. I made the wrong decision, and I would say, let that go. Enjoy the joy so I should, that you I did should take with China it. Go, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, really look at, you know, would I buy it again today? If not, that's a game that I play with my clients and I gamify a lot of stuff. And so, you know, we do that with wardrobes too, is would you buy this item? Would you buy this dress again? And a lot okay, of times so tell say, us what the questions are. Yeah, we're okay. looking at shit basically, right? And we feel like everything is so cluttered this is perfect. What are the questions we need to ask? Uh, you know, I've had to I'm train, writing them down. I've had to train myself to say stuff, not shit, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and poor well, Nick, you know, my, my podcast <laughs> editor, he'll send me a message and say, do you want this to be explicit because you swore? And I'm like, ah, just go for it. 
Okay. They don't always say it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So gamifying, you know, like you could ask yourself, if I were in a store right now and I saw this X, Y, Z, would I really want to buy it? Would I want to put out the money that I already have for that again? And a lot of times people will say, geez, no, that dress, I mean, that dress cost me whatever. And a lot of times it's, it was a bargain. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, great. And would you buy it again? And they're like, well, no, I don't like the way it fits. Okay, please donate that. Let it go. Make room for something else and make that something for, you know, a donation that will actually go to someone who absolutely adores that thing and it fits them fine. Same with your china. Like, would you acquire that much china, those particular pieces? Do you use them? Who could use them better? Can you imagine someone better? Is there a thrift that you really adore that supports, you know, little hungry dogs who like snacks? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Referring to an earlier thing that happened today. Is there a thrift that, you know, you could donate that thing to and know it's going to support a great cause that you love? So those are ways that I get around uh, people's sort of, but I paid a lot of money for that or... But great aunt Fufu gave it to me, and um, it reminds me of her. It's like, okay, keep one or two pieces and let the rest of it go to someone who can actually use it. Um, Other questions. Gamifying, I mean, it was funny. My mom, when I was a kid, there'd be chores that I had to do, and I would be sitting on the hot air register in the wintertime with a blanket around me and my dog's head in my lap and a book. And I would be reading, 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 because that was what I loved to do. And so she really taught me that doing the thing that I had to do had to happen first, and then I could reward myself. So rewarding, having that immediate reward is excellent. You know, you do 30 minutes of whatever it is that you really don't want to do, but you've got this extrinsic reward of I can then read with no guilt without my mother bugging me without, you know, my brain bugging me about that thing that I'm ignoring. And so those extrinsic, you know, immediate reward, extrinsic motivation really helps because that's something that ADHD brains lack is that intrinsic motivation. So a lot of times for things that you don't have hyper-focus for. So having that way of giving yourself an immediate reward when the thing is done is a way to motivate yourself. Same with body doubling. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you just said here, Judith, because, you know, when we talk about extrinsic rewards, I'm always thinking of, oh, stuff like I get to go get a manicure or I get to go, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Buy something. Go shopping or, you know, that kind of stuff, which, which does not motivate me at all. But you said something else. You said, I get to read that book without feeling this pressure and this guilt around the fact that I didn't do what I told myself I was going to do. Mm-hmm. And so you're pushing it out farther and saying, you are going to feel so much positive emotion that you're going to be so happy that you did it. And so you're making them feel into the future. Yes. Yes. And again, that's another part of the ADHD mentality, I guess, is the future is always somewhere off. But when you can say it's in 30 minutes, in 30 minutes, I can go and read, you know, the rest of Diana Gabaldon's latest bodice ripper. Woohoo! <laughs> 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 you know, 
that spurs me on and I spurs my, my clients on too. And they can also ways to make things funner include, you know, turning on music for 30 minutes, like having your favorite album playing or your favorite Spotify mix or whatever. And that's your background to doing whatever it is that you've been avoiding in the house, whether it's picking up, you know, putting away the laundry or putting the dishes in the dishwasher, like getting those things, those to completion and truly understanding that, you know, you, you can go as long as you can stand it, but you can also maybe go as long as the music is playing and you actually put a time limit on that. And I would say, give yourself at least 10 minutes more than you think a chore will take because we're all really bad at time estimation. Yeah, we are. Podcasts are something that really work for me. I love to learn. And I think most of us with ADHD love to learn. I struggle a little bit with reading. It depends. If I'm really interested, then I want a book because I want to mark it up and tab it and, you know, highlight it and all that. But if I'm not super interested, I struggle. But I cannot be super interested, but be kind of interested. And I can do an audio book. So yeah, that makes total sense to me. And so are you saying that typically for you personally, you won't say, okay, I'm going to spend four hours cleaning my kitchen. Instead, you'll do kind of more the Pomodoro method where 30 minutes and then I get some sort of reward. If that means sitting in you know, my snuggly chair reading my book. Yes, absolutely. Those are things I recommend to my clients. I would clean for four hours, unfortunately. <laughs> Because I we've actually, already determined that you're nuts. I'm nuts. And I think that that's like woohoo time. But yeah, if, if I had to, for example, do my QuickBooks bookkeeping for that long, I would want to do anything but. And so I learned, until I hired a bookkeeper as of 2021, I learned <laughs> to do woohoo. And yes, exactly. And that's another option is, of course, is outsourcing stuff. But anyway, I learned to do it in half hour bites. And I got as much done as I could in a half hour. And then I tried to find a good break point and leave a note to myself as to where I got. Because it was torture. I just did not like doing it. And my brain had real difficulty staying focused. So I made lots of errors. But that's a whole other topic we could talk about someday. <laughs> Me and my QuickBook woes. <laughs> so what you're saying, this makes perfect sense, though. You are really interested in just cleaning. It's probably mindless. Maybe it's a little therapeutic for you. And so yep. you can clean for hours. You know, yep. once you start, you can't stop kind of thing. Well, it's but for those organizing. <laughs> so all okay, the and cleans out of all organized. the cupboards. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Whatever. But I know that (laughs) That process, right? And so that's what I would also say to your clients is take a process, you know, and try to generalize it. So I know how to, you know, take all the cans and stuff out of my pantry and put them back. So that all the labels are facing my husband hasn't been in there yet uh, is what that means. And (laughs) et cetera, et cetera. Making it all like, it all OCD lovely for a while, like for 24 hours. But I don't necessarily know how to do that with QuickBooks. I don't know how. And so I've learned, Mm. oh, I have to have a little bit of that mentality 
of, you know, my cans in a row <laughs> to get my numbers in a row. And so, and I can, but I know that I can only handle that for like 20 to 30 minutes and then I'm done. That is fascinating. Okay, so talk a little bit more about that. So it sounds like stuff you love you can do for hours like like we all can. Yep. Those things that you have no interest for and feel like you have little aptitude for, you struggle with those. Correct. And so you trunk, chunk it down into small time frames, small amounts of time. Mm-hmm. But then you also said that you apply those things that you know to those things you don't know and don't want to do. So when you say organize the cans, but referring to QuickBooks, what does that mean? That means that just slow down and try to summon up that feeling of, I know how to do this. Really think, I know how to do this. I've got the instructions right there. And that's what I did is I, every time I did QuickBooks, I'd have to look through my instructions. And I've been in business, as I said, for 11 years. So I've done this for you know, long time. And, but every time I would have to get out my instructions because I didn't trust my working memory about it. And I would just sort of like try to say to myself, you know how to do this. It's not that difficult. And you can take some pride in having done it. And so I guess it's really that sort of self-awareness and learning how to Use as an example, like I said, a process you already know how to do that comes to you relatively easily and apply it to something that's more difficult that really taxes your focus and really keep it within a boundary. So don't say, I'm going to do this for four hours because you're not. You're just going to be miserable. Say, I'm going to do it for 20 or 30 minutes. Chunk it down, like you said. Use the Pomodoro method. And maybe get a body double. And I was wanted to tell you that there is a body doubling app, and it is called Focus Mate. Oh yeah, we have our own group on Focus Mate. Oh great! You already yeah, know ADHD all that for smartass women. Yeah. Ah. No, and women have told me it is life changing. So I interviewed. I can't remember her name right now because I'm so bad with names. She's so lovely. She's a young woman who has literally done. 1800 hours on Focusmate and she plans her whole schedule on Focusmate and she said it completely has changed her life so everything she wants to get done she puts in Focusmate. That's amazing. I had only heard about it through another ADHD coach Sina Block and I was, you know, blown away by the fact that this now existed cuz it's part of what I offer people. I mean, I actually I actually have one client that I sit with for three hours every few months and we do stuff. Well, I hold the space for him and he does stuff that he's been procrastinating about. (laughs) So this is a wonderful way for people who, you know, don't have either the wherewithal or the wish to have a person physically next to them. That's awesome. So are there certain concepts that you always work from. For example, I heard you use the term, if it's not right there in sight, we're probably going to forget about it. So I would say out of sight, out of mind, like Mm -hmm. things like that, concepts that you have discovered over the years of working with, you know, people with ADHD that seem to be really relevant. 
Well, yeah, one of mine is 95% is not put away. What does that mean? Explain that. I, I came up with that for a client who used to take stuff, he'd put it on the staircase, and then at some point he would take all the stuff up to the room that it was supposed to go to and dump it in the room. And I also saw this happening in other people's homes where they would, especially in spare bedrooms, like the spare bed would just become this repository for everything that was supposed to go in closets and bins and et cetera, or be hung up. And so I would say, you know, it really needs to be hundred percent put away. It can't be 95% because then you end up with more clutter. So that's one of my <laughs> maxims is hundred percent put away. So don't take, and my husband does this and then I finish it up a lot of times. He'll take items down to the basement and leave them in front of the storage room door. Ah. Uh. And I, just, I, I, I do a couple of uh, grounding exercises so I don't yell at him. And I just go, okay, I'm the person who's going to put them away. So I put them away 100% and put them where they're supposed to go. Because he'll just leave it there and it'll keep piling up and piling up. And that is not peculiar to ADHD. I think that's, you know, just human nature. But um, mm-hmm. I think with ADHD people, you start having that clutter blindness after a while and you don't even notice that you know, the hallways filling up with stuff. So really, really keeping that as a mantra of, you know, 100% put away. Let's see what else. I mean, I don't have a whole lot because it's often peculiar to different, you know, people's individual uh, situations and what they do. Like clutter blindness truly is an issue though, when you have too much stuff out. So I will eventually, you know, say that, instead of it becoming a visual reminder, it just becomes overwhelming. And you, you're not able to individually see the things that you're trying to use as visual reminders. So uh, definitely calendars to me are a better way to go, you know, really putting down one or two tasks that are typically the sort of thing that you would put out for yourself on your desk, for example, turn that into an actual physical task with a time and a, and an appointment to do it for yourself. Okay. I have one last question for you and then I'm going to let you go. You've been so generous with your time. So one of the things, and I'm asking you this because you made a really interesting comment. You said that personally at home, you were always just naturally good at organizing. You really enjoyed to do it. But it took you until you were in your mid-50s to figure out how to apply it to homework and getting through school. And that was one of the things that I really struggled with. And when my son was at school, and he was at two schools that basically had zero structure. Once he went back to the Catholic school, you know, there were lots of things I didn't like about the Catholic school. But I got to tell you, they have structure. And it worked really well for his brain. And so these other two high schools were so disorganized in terms of, it wasn't that they were disorganized. It was that they had no structure. And, you know, you'd have one teacher who would, there was no online portal. You'd have one teacher that would um, give the homework in class. Then you'd have another teacher who would send an email, you know, another teacher who would give them a written document in class that would have the homework. And I just found it was so frustrating and difficult to keep up. And I'm wondering with your kids, did you figure out a way to help them to stay organized or did they go to schools where there was tons of structure? 
Because I noticed <laughs> once he went to the Catholic school, I didn't have to deal with that anymore. And I've always wondered, what more could I have done? You know? Uh, yeah. And we put so much on ourselves, don't we? It's interesting. That just makes me think as a coach, I've been told, if you're doing all the work, you're working too hard. And I think as parents, that's very true. If you're doing all of the organizing work for your kid, you're working too hard. And you're probably doing them a disservice in the long run. (laughs) Well, I will tell you, I didn't. I just gave up. I mean, it was such a struggle to pull all this stuff out of him that I was just like, screw it. I, I, can't, I can't stay on top of it. So I don't know how he can stay on top of it. So I just stopped harassing him. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what my <laughs> parents did. They let me get a couple of Fs. But that was back in the day before, <laughs> before it was also, you know, fraud with, oh, you're not going to get yeah. in good school and all that junk. But anyway. I know. So for my daughter, she went to the local public high school and she had a couple of, you know, places where it fell apart. And I think between that and her therapy and her ADHD meds and me becoming more and more aware and able to try to help her, but of course you can't help someone who doesn't want help. But she had a lot of supports and resources and she eventually figured it out and she did go to college and she did do pretty well, but she did flunk one class because that's what happens. My son went to an experiential expeditionary school called the Watershed School in Boulder, Colorado, which didn't have grades. It had self-assessments and then uh, teacher assessments. And they always assessed you based on your skills and your strengths and how they measured you against yourself. That worked great for him. And that's the kind of college he eventually went to, uh, Evergreen Mm -hmm. College. And he ended up studying music and uh, electronic music and all that kind of stuff. And that's what his passion is. So I guess what it helps to do is really help someone find what their hyper-focused passion is and support them getting that done. I'm way off topic now. That's okay. You just made me feel better because, I mean, that's always been my thought. You know, I'm not a helicopter parent. I mean, I never knew what my daughter was doing. Didn't have a clue. But she was a different kid, always at the top of her class, no problem. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, with all these parents who are complaining and they're so worried and they're, you know, trying to do their kids' homework. And of course, I had a daughter who I had to do nothing for. And then I got my son. And he totally gave me a run for my money, but I just always felt like you can't, I mean, I knew I couldn't force it, right? Yeah. So, you know, in that second high school, that's when I just gave up. And I remember my husband and I came to him and said, look, third high school, you know, in four years, basically, you pick the high school you want to go to. We don't care. We just want to see you smile and have fun. And so he decided to go back to the Catholic high school where he went to most of elementary school and junior high. And he did incredibly well and ended up, you know, getting himself into a good college. And like it all worked out once we just took off the pressure and stopped trying so hard. So. And I I I see what you're saying about it. Yeah. And the structure, structure for a lot Mm -hmm. of people with ADHD, knowing exactly what is expected of you, what the deadlines are, how to break things down. You know, we've all heard this, 
But if the school's actually providing that scaffolding for you so that you really understand that it's going to be, that it works and that they're expecting it from you. Again, it's that extrinsic motivation. Um, I work with a young man who is in a PhD program and he said to me, one of the problems is I always know I can push things out, that none of the deadlines are hard and fast. That's terrible for someone with ADHD. Horrible. Because you never can really depend on it being meaningful. I think that has got a big part of it is the meaning, the context. Is it really meaningful for me to hit this deadline? I don't know. Yeah, because there's no consequences, right? So if there's no consequences to you not doing it, well, then, yeah, I'd put it off until I possibly could, too, probably. Especially if it's not something that's of basic interest. Yeah. 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 Interesting. I was going to go back to quickly is that I really go with how does it feel? And, you know, we all, we all have that negative thought stuff. And, and I did listen to your episode 88 about rumination. And I was thinking about a big part of work I do with my clients is really grounding, getting into the physical body, shaking it up as one of my mentors calls it seriously shaking your body or wiggling your toes, getting yourself really into your body, and then asking yourself, what is this thing making me feel like? And when you're doing that negative self-talk about, I can't do this, or I'm so bad at this, or whatever it is, especially around clutter in your home, trying to really access feeling your best you before you tackle some of these things, not feeling sort of your worst you because you won't get things done if you're not feeling the best that you can at that time. And I know that's, it sounds like a woo woo thinking, but I really find that it's true that to come at something with the best of intentions and the best attitude starts with your own emotions about yourself. I completely agree. And especially for our ADHD brains, if we are not in positive emotion, it's almost impossible to get done what we want to get done. Yes. Whatever that means, right? Yes. Okay. So that is another one of your, I had asked, are there certain concepts that you always work from? I love that. So how do you feel? Is that, was Mm -hmm. that, or how do I feel? Yeah. How do I feel and how do I get myself into my body? So I'm not in my brain Mm. ruminating about the bad things, but I'm really like, okay, opening up your heart and your solar plexus areas and really feeling like walking into doing this thing from the best place you can. Perfect. So Judith, are you working on something that you want to tell us about? (laughs) (laughs) where can people find you if they want to know more about you and what you do i am just blown away that you do virtual organizing i just think that is amazing yeah well that's a big and up and coming field as of around march 2019 uh 2020 2020 god i've lost track of years already and yes i do do some virtual organizing i do prefer on on site 
because I like that, you know, being in someone's physical space. But given the uh, increase in COVID, um, yeah, I'm offering I'm offering uh, virtual organizing um, that can be done, as I said, through Zoom or FaceTalk usually only do small amounts because one can only uh, stand a certain amount of zooming a day. Um, so it's definitely shorter bursts than one than I would do in person. My in-person uh, times are three hours minimum usually, but Zoom virtual organizing is an hour to an hour and a half generally. I'm also an ADHD coach and I'm trying to increase that and I'm working more with newly diagnosed women in midlife and enjoying imparting some of the training and life skills that I've learned along the way. And I um, am also taking something called positive intelligence and I'm becoming a PQ certified coach sometime in 2021 or 2022 at some point. Um, So I'm just constantly (laughs) adding more arrows to my quiver and more tools in my toolbox so that I can really offer people what they need in the moment. Well, Judith, that sounds very ADHD. I mean, I laughed when you said you got your master's in journalism at 54. Uh-huh. <laughs> and since then, you've just been collecting degrees, right? <laughs> That's Certification. Right. Yes. <laughs> very ADHD. <laughs> We never retire. No. Anyway, Judah, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. That was really fun and very informative. So thank you. Oh, and I did forget to tell you my um, space-editing.com. I just remembered that. I was just going to say, and what is your website? Okay, say it again. Space, S-P-A-C-E hyphen editing, E-D-I-T-I-N-G dot com. Okay, and I will have that in the show notes. Thank you. For anybody that wants to find you that way. So anyway, that is what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Judith, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And your reviews, they really do help in that regard. If you're interested in joining our workshop, How to Fall in Love with Your ADHD Brain, you can join our waitlist at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash I love my brain. And also, one more thing, if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a topic idea for this podcast, you can go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com or reach out to me at my email, which is tracy at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.